This morning is the second sermon in a series that we started last week, and the title is Honest to God, and the subtitle is Learning to Pray Like Jesus. And the whole intent behind this series is for our church to grow in prayer. Now, whenever I say that, I feel a little twinge of guilt because our church prays. I mean, I of all people (laughs) have been the recipient and the beneficiary of your remarkable capacity for prayer. Um, My family and I, when things were very dark, uh, some some of you might probably maybe don't know this. I had COVID and I was in ICU and our church gathered around our house at seven in the morning and seven in the evening throughout my time in the hospital. And God answered your prayers. But I think that there's more for us in prayer. I think that God has more for us. Even though we as a church were birthed in prayer and our church is committed to prayer on Sundays, I love when we stand together before God and and bring him our prayers I love in our small groups how much time we spend in prayer, but there is more that God has for us. We've, we've really only scratched the surface, and, and God invites us as a church to cast out into the deeps, to deepen our life of prayer. So what we're doing is we're following in the footsteps of Jesus' 12 disciples. They had been raised in a culture of prayer. But when they witnessed Jesus praying, they suddenly discovered they had only entered the kiddie pool. And there were deeps waiting for them. And in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, they said to Jesus, Lord, teach us. We we need to grow in prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. And that's my prayer for our church. And I invite you to join me with that over the next several months, asking the Lord to teach us as a church to pray. So what we're doing in order to give God a chance to teach us is we're turning our attention to the Psalms. God's people have always gone to the Psalms to learn how to pray. The Psalms were the prayer book for for Israel. They were the prayer book for Jesus. They're the prayer book for the church today. The Psalms are the equivalent of the McGuffey reader. It's what everybody at one point in time learned how to read from. All the homeschooling nerds like me and Janelle out there, you know what I'm talking about. At no time in the history of God's people have the Psalms not been at the very center of their prayer life. So if you want to learn how to pray, how to really pray, the tried and true method, the method Jesus used to learn how to pray is that he prayed the Psalms. Now, if you're not a Christian or if faith is tenuous for you, I encourage you over the next several months to suspend your disbelief. Just fake it. Be an intentional hypocrite. Pray like you are a Christian. And see what happens. Turn your suspicion on your suspicions. And just see what happens. 
Take God up on his offer. And maybe I think you might find that prayer opens your mind to a different melody of truth than you've been able to hear before. Now, one more thing as we're getting started this morning. The book of Psalms, it's a collection of prayers. Does anybody know how many prayers are in the book of Psalms? 150. That's right. There's 150 prayers. And so for this series, we've picked out 11 of them, 11 representative prayers that Keith and Wilson and I are going to lead our church through over the next several months until the end of November. 11 prayers that kind of explore the landscape of the Psalms. This morning, we're going to start by focusing on the Psalms that praise God, prayers of praise. And so what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to try to convince you that you need to practice praising God, not just showing up at church and singing the psalms we hand you, the songs we hand you. I'm going to try to convince you this morning to take time in the week to come to set aside on a daily basis moments where you will practice praising God with the psalms. And I'm going to do that by trying to show you four reasons in the book of Psalms that that we see for praising God. Let's start at the end. If you have your Bible, I hope that you do. I hope you bring it every week through this series. Turn to the very last Psalm, Psalm 1, 150. And let's look at the very last word of the very last Psalm. Now, in English, it's three words. Praise the Lord. Now, like most books of the Old Testament, the book of the Psalms is written in Hebrew. And in the original line there, it's really the book of the Psalms ends on one word. It's a compound word. Here it is in Hebrew. Hallelujah. Now, listen to the word for a minute. We know this word. Hallelujah. It's a compound word. Hallelujah which means it's a plural command, you praise. It's like you take out the trash or technically because it's plural, it's y'all get on the bus, all right? So, and Yah means God, means Yahweh. So it's y'all praise God. And it's a compound word in Hebrew, but in English we have to turn it into these three words. That's the last thing of the book. The last, the last line spoken in the play when the curtain descends is the actor looking out at the, at the theater, the room, the congregation and saying, y'all praise God. Now, go back to the very beginning of the book. And somebody in the room tell me in your Bible, what is the first thing on the page in the book of Psalms? What's the first thing written? Huh? Oh, no, above that, at the top of the page. Above that, at the very top of the page. The title, The Psalms. Thank you. It's so funny. We skip over it, right? Surely you wasn't asking for the title. Yes, I was. Here's the word. Here's the deal. In Hebrew, that's tahalim. Now, the reason I'm saying that is do you hear the same word? Tahalim, hallelujah. It's the same root, praise. This is just the noun form. It's the, it's the form that it, it literally translated as praises or book of praises or song of praise or praise song. So think about this for a minute. 
the very first word on the page when you're reading the Psalms is, here's a book of praises. And then the very last thing in the whole book is, y'all praise God. Do you see how the whole book is held together with this idea of praise? Praise, it's the frame of the book. It's, it's like written on the cover, praise songs, and on the back, now praise God. Now, here's what's interesting. That's really odd. Because if you've ever read through the Psalms, praise is a minority voice. Most of the Psalms, most of the 150 prayers in the book of the Psalms are not prayers of praise. Most of them are prayers of complaint, sort of like your prayer life and mine. Most of them are prayers of lament. Most of them are cries for help by the helpless and hurting men and women. They're prayers that are wrung out of the desperate condition of living life in this world. One of the most significant Psalm scholars of all time, in fact, says complaint is the backbone of the book. That if praise is the front and the back, the spine is complaint. So how can it be right to give this book the title praises when most of the prayers are complaints? Is it false advertising? Is it an attractive smile pasted over the cover of a book that's full of pain and doubt and trouble? The Psalms, when you pray through them, when you read through them, their most frequent stop is in the, the country of alienation and rejection and guilt and confusion. So praise as a title is statistically not accurate, but it is accurate for a different reason. Let me show you what I mean. Go to the beginning of Psalms, Psalm 1 and 2. We looked at them last week. The first two Psalms, we, we saw this last week, they're the entrance to the Psalms. They're about being a certain type of person, being a righteous person. The person who is righteous is the person whose fundamental orientation in life is to God's word and God's son. Psalm 1, God's word. Psalm 2, God's son. That's Psalm 1 and 2. Then turn the page and notice the very first prayer in the Psalms, Psalm 3. Notice how it starts. Oh, Yahweh, how many are my foes? Psalm 4. Answer me when I call you. Psalm 5, give ear to my words, O Yahweh. Consider my groaning. Psalm 6, O Yahweh, rebuke me not in your anger. Psalm 7, O Yahweh, my God, in you I take refuge. Save me from the ones who pursue me. This is odd, right? The book title is Psalms. The entrance is righteousness. And then Psalm 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. They're all like, I'm in trouble. I need help. I'm hurting. Where are you? Why aren't you here? And then suddenly you get to Psalm 8. And out of nowhere, with no preparation, just catching you off guard is praise. An eruption of praise. It just springs forth, fully formed, resplendent, armed like Athena out of the head of Zeus, right? Look at Psalm 8, verse 1. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And so what you see in the book of the Psalms is that while lament is the most common type of prayer in this book, praise erupts in unlikely places. Look at Psalm 13. 
This is a good example. Notice how it begins. How long, Yahweh, will you forget me forever? Will you, how long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy exalt exalt over? Psalm 13 is typical. It starts with five hard questions put to God. And then it follows up with three desperate pleas for help. And then when there is no sign that any prayer has been answered, that any question has been answered, that any request for help has been granted, when there's no sign that anything has changed, suddenly you get verse 5. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. And this happens all the time in the Psalms where you're in the middle of confusion and doubt and and hurt and pain. And then out of nowhere, this eruption of praise in the most unlikely situations. And as you go through the book, it's interesting. Praise grows. There's this discernible like increasing frequency the further into the book you go. In fact, by the time you get into the 90s, Psalm 90, when you get to Psalm 90, all of the sudden, praise begins to dominate. And by the time you get to Psalm 145, and turn there in your Bible, by the time you get to Psalm 145, you have an alphabet of praise. Now, we can't see this in English, But in Hebrew, Psalm 145 is an acrostic. Each verse starts with the next verse in the Hebrew alphabet. A meticulous acrostic of praise, an anthology of praise. 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. Each line of Psalm 145 begins with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And here's what's interesting. Each line of Psalm 145 is a quotation or a near quotation of something earlier in the book. Each line is looking back at this whole book and summing it up and picking it up. Each line, a sentence of praise. And Psalm 145 takes this single subject of praise and it offers it to God with variations and changes in hues and colors until the alphabet runs out. It's an A to Z of praise. But that hardly prepares us for what follows. Because Psalm 146, 47, 48, 49, 50, it's like the end of a fireworks show. It's like the whole book of the Psalms has been fireworks and then at the end, you had no idea what was coming. It is this riotous display of the best of the best of the best. This is a book that culminates in praise, but it gets there by going through all of life, all of the pains and all of the sufferings and all of the joys and the rare moments where you're able to muster up praise even when nothing in your life calls for it. By the time you get to the end of this book, we see this is what a life of prayer culminates in. The Psalms, they're what we need to be. The Psalms show us the path of a life, a life that is a real life. Oh, and there's more. Go back to Psalm 1. Look, look right before Psalm 1, there's a phrase, I, and so I think Deanna said it earlier, book one, 
Psalm 1 is book 1. Then go to Psalm 42. Notice right above it, book 2. Then if you jump over to Psalm 73, right at the top of it, book 3. Then if you jump to Psalm 90 at the top of it, book 4. And then if you go to Psalm 107 at the top of it, book 5. So the book of the Psalms is divided into sections. It's divided into these five books. Now let me show you something remarkable. Remember, the most common prayer in the Psalms is the prayer of complaint. So you're okay. And your teenagers are okay. <laughs> They're just like the Psalms. Teenagers, when your parents complain about you complaining, tell them, I'm just trying to be like Jesus. I'm just trying to live by the Psalms. Let me show you something really neat here. Look at Psalm 41. Psalm 41 is the last Psalm of book one. And notice how it ends. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. That's Psalm 41 verse 13. Now go to the last Psalm of book two, Psalm 72 verse 18. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. May the whole earth be full of his glory. Amen and amen. Now go to the last Psalm of book three, Psalm 89, verse 52. Blessed be the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Now this last Psalm of book four, Psalm 106, verse 48. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say amen. Praise the Lord. And now you get to the last psalm of the last book of the psalms, Psalm 150, and it's the whole thing. It's what we read earlier. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him. And it just goes on and on and on. Now, what does all this mean? It means that the title, Book of Praises, while it's statistically inaccurate, it's thematically accurate. The book of praises is the only accurate title because it is the goal that shapes the journey of prayer. It is the goal for a life well lived. What's going on here is that the editors of this book gave it the title praises because they were making a point about human life. Praise is the goal of the book and to be fully human and truly yourself, praise will be your culminating journey. All prayer pursued far enough becomes praise. Any prayer, no matter how desperate its origin, no matter how angry and fearful the experiences it traverses, all prayer ends in praise. It doesn't always get there quickly or easily. The trip, in fact, can take a lifetime. But the end is praise. That's one reason you and I need to immerse ourselves in the Psalms because if we want to learn to pray well, remember I said there's a different kind of praying. There's a praying help or thank you or oh no. That's kindergarten praying. But there's a kind of praying that you have to learn. And if you will learn it, 
You will become more fully yourself, more truly human. You will become what you were made to be. You will suddenly hit the ball in the sweet spot. You will become a true God-glorifying human. And that kind of praying doesn't come natural. And it doesn't come easy. It has to be learned. And if we immerse ourselves in a book that takes all of life seriously, but keeps taking us back there and showing us the way to praise, even through doubt, even through confusion, even through despair, even through the darkest, most utter lonely places in this world, then we can become who we were made to be. A second reason, and I'll be quick with the next three. A second reason we need to learn how to praise God in our prayer life, and I'll not spend much time here, but the second reason we need to learn how to praise God is because God deserves to be praised. He deserves it. Psalm 24, verse 1 and 2. I hope you know Psalm 24. If you don't, I hope you memorize it. It's one of the best it starts with this, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Verse eight, who is the king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, Yahweh, mighty in battle. He deserves our praises. Psalm 29, verse one, ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Praising God is what people do who know the truth about power. Because in the Lord, we see true power. The power that creates and the power that saves. We need to deepen in our life of prayer by growing in our skill with praise because God deserves to be praised with skill. He deserves to be praised well. So praise is the goal that shapes the entire journey of prayer. And praise is what God deserves. A third reason I want to convince you this week to get into the training wheels of the praise psalms. A third reason, praising God is something we need in our lives because it is the biblical way to confess the faith. Now this is interesting. Our church is an Anglican church. And we've learned to confess the faith with the creed. Oftentimes people leading us in the creed will say, church, what do you believe? Or let's confess our belief together. But in the biblical world, the confession of faith was praise. Look at Psalm 100. If you grew up in the Episcopal church, it's called the old 100th. Psalm 100 Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Verse 3. Know that Yahweh, he is God. Know that he's the God who made us. Know that we are his. Know that we are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. Notice, how do we know that Yahweh is God? Verse 1. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth through praises. Look at Psalm 22, verse 3. Here, here's where this interesting dynamic comes up one more time. Psalm 22, verse 3. Yet you are, you are holy. You are enthroned on the praises of Israel. It's interesting because all the other religions in their sanctuary, in their temple, there was always an icon. 
It was always a, an image of the God they were worshiping. But when you went into Israel's temple, the place of the icon was vacant. So the phrase, be enthroned on the praises of Israel, shows us what replaced the icon in Israel's temple. It was praise. It was the, it was the hymns of praise. It was the praises of prayers. That's the throne that holds God, holds God up for us to see him. Our praises present God. There are people in our church who need this. There are people in our church for whom belief is hard. There are Sundays that I come here and I need to see God because I've lost him. I need you to enthrone him, to hold him up. And the way we hold up God for our children and our friends to see is by praise. When we praise God, when we sing about the wonderful things God has done, we are saying no to all the other gods. We are saying this God is the true God. In the words of Psalm 86 verse 8, there is none like you among the gods, O Yahweh, nor are there any works like yours. Praise is the way we confess our faith to each other and for each other. It's how we see God and how we show God. It's how we tell each other who God is and it's how God is manifest among us. We need that. So we need to develop skillful prayers of praise because praise is the goal that shapes the journey of life because God deserves to be praised. And three, we need to praise because we need to confess God in order to grow in our faith and in order to help others among us who are struggling with faith. And finally, a fourth reason I'm begging you to practice praising God this week with the Psalms. A fourth reason is because the world needs us to praise God. Again, Psalm 100. Look at the old 100th with me. Psalm 100, verse 1. Make a joyful noise to Yahweh, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. This is an invitation to the entire earth to join us in praising the God who is the only true God, who is the good God. The saving God. In other words, praise and evangelism in the Bible, you can't take them apart. As the church praises God, the church becomes the evangelist to the world. It is announcing to the world, here is the true God. The God who is the only God who can save you. Throughout the Psalms, God, the Father of Jesus Christ, this God is the cosmic and universal ruler. And he did not become the king of the world by becoming the king of Israel. Yahweh became Israel's God because he was already the king of the world. What we as a church, what we have for the world beyond all else is the witness to the true God. And that witness comes from our songs and our praises. And as we learn to praise God through the Psalms, we see two things. One, we can never devote, demote our God 
to being just any God. Our God is not one in a pantheon. The God of Christianity is the God. Psalm 100 verse 3, know that Yahweh, he is God. Our witness about Jesus Christ, it's not a tentative proposal to the world. It's not, I submit to you. It's not that. It is the true story. It is the true God. And it is not, God is not just God for the church. He's God for the world too. As we learn from the Psalms to praise God in our prayers, we will learn that God's work in the world is bigger than the church. God is engaged in the world in ways other than how he's engaged in the church. Psalm 24 verse one, the whole earth is Yahweh's and the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell in it. Praising Yahweh is something we do in the middle of a general religiosity of our time that imagines the God it wants. Praising God is something we do in the midst of other religions that claim their God is the God. Praising God is something we do in the midst of a secular culture that believes there is no God. In the midst of a pluralism that says all gods have their rights. In the midst of a multiculturalism that relativizes God as a cultural phenomenon. In the midst of a neo-paganism that's reviving the old gods. Obviously, there are so many other reasons to praise God. And there is more going on in the Psalms than the four I've named. But I hope these four reasons will get you to not just have had a happy time in church today but I hope they will compel you this week to cast out into the deeps, to discipline yourself in learning from the Psalms how to praise God well, because praise is the goal that shapes the journey of prayer. Because God deserves to be praised. Because we need praise. Good praise, skillful praise identifies the truth of our faith and strengthens our faith. And because the world needs Jesus and praise is the regular way we witness to who God is. We need to learn to praise when we don't feel like it. We need to remember Psalm 8 after Psalm 3, 4, 5, 6, and 7. Praise is not incompatible with distress or trouble or weakness. Praise is like Keith said at the beginning. It's like tuning the orchestra before the concert. You need it. I need it. It's like digging channels in a waterless land in order that when at last the water does come, you're ready. There are happy moments even now when a trickle creeps along the dry beds and some people have the happy fortune of a flood. Will you practice this week? Will you practice praising God? All it takes is practice. It doesn't take IQ. It doesn't take money. It, it, it doesn't take a natural propensity toward piety. It takes practice. So go for it. This week, practice the prayers of praise. I'm going to give you a list of some you can try. Psalm 8, where you get to praise God for creation. You love creation? You love the earth? Psalm 8, 
will help you find your way to praise through the marvel of the creation. Psalm 24, Psalm 100, Psalm 113, 117, 145, all the way to the end. So here's my challenge for you. Set a time, set a place, and set a focus. Pick a psalm of praise and practice it. Let's pray.